0: Good morning, church family. Man, uh, as of last Monday, I had actually already started working on this week's PowerPoint from Acts chapter twenty-one and twenty-two, but my friend Tom sent me an article, and and it was an article on worship, and it really grabbed my attention. And then I ended up having a discussion with uh, with our our worship guy later on in the week, and we were just we we're kicking around this idea of worship, it reminded me of of a sermon. I had thought about writing this last year after the elders and I finished reading a book called Simple Church. So if you would, I'm going to ask you to just wait at least another week to get back into the book of Acts. Instead, please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is going to be our kickoff point for this morning's message. See, uh, it, it's not going to be on the screen, so you're going to want to get a Bible out. Um, and while you're turning there, here's some bingo pictures for the kids if you're doing the bingo thing. Uh, by the way, lately the bingo has been a total blackout except for one. So if you're doing the bingo, you got to find all of them except one in the slideshow. Um, so, friends, I, I want to ask you this question What do you think of when you hear the word worship? Music. Music? Okay, Tom answered. Music? Spirit and truth? Okay. Serving? Praise? Reverence? Okay. There's a lot of good answers there. Um, I bet most of us in this room, if we were asked after the service, hey, what did you think about the worship today? The response would likely be dealing with or in reference to the musical part. And it's easy to understand why, because I I think that the word worship with American Christianity, we use it almost interchangeably with song service. And I've been thinking about this on and off for really several months, and it felt like that article, it may have been a prompting by the Holy Spirit to, to speak on this subject. What worship actually is, what by definition is real worship. And so I want to say, first of all, the Greek word that is translated into English as worship is the word typically, the word proskuneo, which is a compound word. And it means toward kiss. Proskuneo, to kiss toward. And it's, it's similar in idea, I think, to blowing a kiss, but with more reverence. Uh, I want you to think about that for just a second. Friends, when was the last time that you blew a kiss to someone? And why did you do it? Love. You no, know, Evangeline often blows uh, a kiss to me as I'm leaving her room after putting her to bed, and uh, and sometimes she does this even after she has actually physically just hugged and kissed me. And so it's really it's sweet, and I think the reason is it is a it's an expression of deep abiding love. And so if we're going to talk about real worship, I, I think to get us in the right mindset, I'd like to read from Colossians one starting in verse 13. Speaking of Jesus Christ, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules, rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, folks, this is a powerful introduction to God the Son, okay? Our Savior with full authority over everything, the instrument of creation, he's the head of the church who has been resurrected from the dead. That's who he's talking about. Resurrected from, from the dead. How so? Paul continues. For in, in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So now we're, we're talking about this, this marvelous, incredibly powerful God choosing to indwell human flesh and die so that we could be forgiven our sins. And you... He says, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So in other words, if you trust that this amazing God-man gave his life on the cross to pay for your sins and to buy your spiritual freedom and you wholeheartedly believe that he rose from the dead, you are reconciled to God. You're no longer God's enemy. Okay, subject to his wrath. Rather, you are his child. Subject to eternal life and the full inheritance that Christ earned for us. We worship a loving and praiseworthy God. He is the sovereign king of the universe, and he created us, and then he redeemed us. So, so I think that's pretty solid motivation for worship. And understanding this, then, I want us to take some, look, some, some looks yeah, at different facets of worship. So if we view worship as a diamond, Okay, What are some of the faces of that diamond that reflect light? And I'm going to give you a hint. We do a lot of them in our Sunday morning time together that we refer to as our worship service. Okay, And I'm I'm hoping, I want this message to do a couple of things at least for every one of you. First, I I want it to help you understand that worship is so much more all-encompassing than you might think. And then secondly, I want you to, to remember that God is absolutely worthy of worship, and we should respond accordingly. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Uh, Let's pray over this message. God, I, I just ask in Jesus' name for each person here. As I typically pray, Lord, make us good soil so that the word will take root and bear fruit. And Father, I pray that you help us to understand what worship is. And Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. It's going to be a beautiful one outside, Lord, but help it to be beautiful inside. Let our hearts reflect our desire for you, Father. May we not just honor you with our lips. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, I got two very quick things to share. One of them, assuming I can pull it up, is a post that I saw this morning and thought, well, that's just a little too convenient, so I'm going to share that in the service today. Um, And it was by John MacArthur. Some of you like him, some of you don't. I happen to like him. Um, You don't have to like him in order to be my friend. It's all right. Um, He said, prior to the 1960s, no one expected a church service to be entertaining, No one wanted to be told to touch their neighbor and repeat a trite phrase suggested by the preacher. No one thought of worship as physical stimulation. No one dreamed of using flashing lights and smoke to set the atmosphere in a worship service. No one demanded to be told that God accepts them just the way they are. When you went to church, you expected to be thoughtful and quiet, prayerful, sober, reflective. The service was ordered so that the word of God was central. It was read and proclaimed with an aim of leading you to understanding, conviction, transformation, and elevation. The structure was deliberate, and the objective was for people to have an encounter with God through an understanding of His truth, with an opportunity to express it in corporate worship. That's the first one I wanted to share. The second one is, very quickly, the story behind that song that you may recognize that Everett finished with this morning. The church where that song uh, was written, it was written by Matt Redman. He's an Australian guy. has a great accent (laughs) if you hear him sing. Um, But his church was real into the production aspect of the worship service. And as it got more and more elaborate and complex and more and more flashy and more and more uh, bent on, it almost came off like a rock concert. And all of a sudden, the people realized, maybe we're doing this and we're not having the focus where it's supposed to be. And so they said, you know what, Matt? It's going to be just you and a guitar for a while until we can figure out what we've been doing wrong. And so that's what they did, and Matt Redman wrote that song. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. You know, he's he's talking about the real heart of worship, It's all about Jesus. And so that's what I want to preface this with. If you will consider, friends, the normal blueprint, uh, and when I mean that, I mean like like the typical way that we do a service at Crossroads. I think you're going to find we try to worship the Lord in multiple ways, okay? First of all, we nearly always begin our service by publicly reading Scripture. We... We kiss toward God when we honor his word as both true and authoritative, and his word happens to be an excellent baseline for a service of worship. You know, typically, Everett and I will we'll collaborate uh, on the scriptures, sometimes on the music, to make sure that they flow well with the subject matter of the message. You know, so usually both of the passages that are read early in the scripture, uh, they're, they're specific. I want you to know that. They're not like randomly selected, okay? Okay. And they are intended to get the worshipers focused in. And sadly, I think many congregations don't use a lot of Scripture, and I believe that is to their detriment. Since God has revealed Himself plainly in Scripture, we, we, need, we need it to inform our understanding and our experiencing of Him. And also in 1 Timothy, Paul told his protege, he says, "'Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture.'" So it's not just a good idea. I mean, this is a very important thing for us to do. So so one way that we worship is through the public reading of God's word. And another one of the ways that we worship, which is also the next phase of our service typically, is through singing praise. Now we're going to camp out here for a little bit on this one. Um, I have a few thoughts I'd like to share with you guys about singing praise. First of all, um, there is probably not a topic outside of outright heresy that has ever been more hotly debated in the modern church. They have actually coined a phrase, the worship wars, about how people, you know, treat the subject of music in church. People seem to have stronger opinions about musical style than almost anything. And being the music leader in a church that has a fairly diverse congregation, like I think we do, it's not an easy task. I think Everett does a fine job. He's really, uh, he's really brought a, a sense of, yeah, he has bought, brought a sense of, of true, I, I feel like, spirit leading in the worship, and that's a, an incredibly valuable thing for us to have. But, but even so, Everett will tell you, you can't please everyone all the time, Right? You know, you ever tried to listen to a radio station that has both classical and heavy metal and country? And you know, Now, I know we don't do all that, but there's, there's a sense in which you, you just can't keep everybody happy all the time with the style of music. Here's the thing. Who are we supposed to be pleasing with our worship? Say it out loud. God. Christ. Jesus. We're not supposed to be worrying about... Pleasing ourselves. Do you think God is concerned about the style of music as long as it's not distracting from His glory? No. I don't think He cares. For that matter, do you think God is more concerned about a a polished, professional music service or an authentic, worshipful song service? Thank you. (laughs) I think so, too. The two don't have to be mutually exclusive, I'm not saying that, but, but when you start getting like fog machines and pyrotechnics for a Sunday morning, is it possible it's not about God anymore? Especially if there's less of a service field. Remember, a worship service is our service of worship to God, okay? Now, if it feels more like a concert, if it feels more like it's a performance for you, that's not right. Now we have to be careful about making judgment calls, though, because I'll tell you, the first time that I felt broken during a worship service, I don't mean just like, you know, emotional, but but moved by the holiness of God to the point where I was on my face and I couldn't get low enough, okay? That happened when, when David Crowder was leading the music at a youth ministry conference, and there were hundreds of worshipers, and I've also been broken by God during the song service in this building more than once. One of them wasn't that long ago. See, the fact is, it's not primarily about the music as it is recognizing the presence of the Lord. Now, all that said, (laughs) musical style and volume is largely personal preference. But one thing we should not treat as optional, even though I think a lot of us do, is singing praise. Do you know that God's people are instructed to sing to the Lord no less than three dozen times in the Bible? Now, I, I want I to commend you folks. Um, this congregation is probably more engaged in singing than any church I've been a part of, with, with the possible exception of one non-instrumental Church of Christ. But, I mean, you know, of course that's going to be that case. But... But generally speaking, even the majority of men in our church sing, which is awesome. Because that is sorely lacking in a lot of churches, okay? However, all of the various ways that we can worship God during a service, it seems like the praise music may be the one that many church people feel like they can either take it or leave it. And I want to encourage you not to leave it. I want to encourage you to sing, for a couple of reasons. First of all, we are told in Scripture to sing to the Lord, okay? And not just in the, in the Old Testament. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian church, which, you know, Kayla, I keep... I, it's almost every time that you read something, you're the one that I have to say your name out in the service. I'm not picking on you. But Kayla read it this morning. And by the way, I don't know if it's debauchery or debauchery either. Okay? But don't do it, all right? Don't do it. <laughs> but in that same letter... You know, he says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, notice that, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Now, this is kind of nifty, because we're not just instructed to sing to the Lord, we're to, we're to sing to one another about the Lord. Like, have you, have you caught that? We're supposed to sing God-honoring words to one another. Just this morning, it's, it's amazing to me how often things just flow together, even when it's not intentional on our part. Just this morning, we're talking about how the, the seraphim are flying around the throne of God and they're shouting to one another Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of His glory. And they're, they're shouting this to each other, and, and it's making the, the thresholds of the temple shake. And it's filled with smoke. Why? I think they're dragons. Just thinking out loud. But anyway, so these, these seraphim flying around singing to each other. We're supposed to sing to each other about God, it's not just to God. Anyway, the author of that article, um, author, not Arthur, he's not a king, the author of that article, um, he mentioned that he encouraged people to look around while they were singing in the church service. And he says, see one another's faces and listen. Smile at one another. Smile. This is a joyful thing that we're engaging in. Smile at one another because we're singing to one another too. Another thing to consider is that when we sing... We're also reminding one another of God's goodness. And listen, we're confessing our theology. We're confessing what we believe about God. Now, having said that, I'd like to offer a suggestion, okay? This is to those of you who prefer not to sing. Because of the number of times that we're commanded to do so, reconsider. That's, that's my first thing, okay? But the friend who sent me this article, Tom, I hope it's okay that I'm using you. Okay. He he had a good suggestion. He said, and I'm quoting you. He said, one thing people could do is literally lip sync during the songs. Say them and allow the words to teach and encourage their souls. I thought that was so good. I quoted you. <laughs> That's good. If you're predisposed against singing aloud, and I know I've talked to some of you, and you actually have something in you that says, I, I struggle with singing out loud, here's why. I understand that. Try that. Sing as quietly as you can or just whisper the words. You know, just let, let those things sink into you. These are truths about God that we're expressing vocally. I just want to encourage you in that, okay? Let them bless you as you proclaim that truth, and I believe it will affect you. Anyway, uh, before we go on to the next point, there's one more thought. When I mentioned the sermon possibility to Everett, he pointed out a couple of, of other passages, and, and by that I mean instructions, right, that are in the Bible, okay? And, and I think a lot of us modern Christians, we're not good about this. How about clap your hands, all ye people? How about it? <laughs> the three of us that clap during the service are the ones clapping, right? It, it, the Bible says so. You don't have to be self-conscious about it. If you're not rhythmic, follow somebody. (laughs) Follow somebody. You know what about the scriptures telling us to lift up our hands? There's a bunch. I probably have sweat globes here, but I'm still I'm I'm showing you. Lift up your hands. It's okay. Now, we're not trying to make anybody feel guilty here. I'm not, it's just a reminder the Lord likes us to be demonstrative in our worship. You know, it's not about ginning up emotion. You know, let's make it a. No, it's, it's about expressing the joy and the awe that we have. And we ought to be feeling that, that in the presence of our Almighty God. And don't be afraid, friends, to say, Daddy, pick me up. Don't be afraid, okay? Don't be self conscious. Don't be ashamed to kiss toward the Lord with your voice, with your hands. All right, we're going to leave that one behind and and move on. Uh, Another way that we worship in our service is through partaking in the Lord's Supper. Now, you may have noticed this this sacrament tends to be right in the middle of a church service. It's not always, but it it often is. Um, I believe that's because it's central to our faith. It's central to our understanding of, of God's mercy and His grace. You know, in in the first letter of of Corinthians, uh, it's chapter 11, Paul writes these words. He's reminding us of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He says, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup in the same way, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You may notice this this phraseology doesn't specify how often we should partake in the Lord's Supper. But it does tell us that when we do it, we are to do it in remembrance of him. When we receive communion, see, I didn't know what you were going to speak on this morning, but when we receive communion... We are honoring the sacrifice of Christ. That's right here in my note. My manuscript. We are honoring the sacrifice of Christ that bought the forgiveness of our sins. And this this amazing act of love and, 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 and forgiveness is worthy of our kiss toward the Lord. We should also be extraordinarily careful not to just take communion by rote without thinking about what we're doing. You know, I often echo Paul's warning to my children. I I lean over and I say, discern the body of Christ. And part of the way that we discern the body of Christ is by having a communion meditation prior to the passing of the elements. And from time to time, I I remind guys that that the meditation is not intended to be a mini-sermon. It's not supposed to be a separate devotion. It It is a reminder of Christ's sacrifice for us. And when we partake, of what Jesus referred to as his body and his blood. Listen, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. That's what Paul said. And friends, that is an act of worship. It is. Then after that, usually in a typical service at Crossroad, we practice worship through giving. Giving. Now, I don't know if it's it's commonly viewed as worship, but the act of giving some of your wealth back to God is absolutely a way of kissing toward God. And it's it's sad. I think many Christians view giving as as an obligation rather than as a privilege. And I think I think some people feel duty bound to the Old Testament concept of a tithe, you know, and others give what they they feel comfortable with. I think what God is, cru, is, is just crucially concerned about, really and truly, on this side of the cross, is your open hand being an extension of your open heart. It's not about how much. Are you doing it cheerfully is the question. What does 2 Corinthians tell us? 2 Corinthians 9, you guys know this one. Each one should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. We're supposed to realize it's a blessing to give. Remember what Paul says, and he's quoting Jesus, even though we never see it in the Gospels. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I, I think we ought to feel honored to contribute to the Lord's work. It, it certainly it, He doesn't need our money, friends. He doesn't need He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We have nothing to 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 offer God that he doesn't already own. But we are told to give because God is generous. And when we learn to be generous ourselves, we're learning to be like God, and that's really, really important. And on top of that, when we cheerfully give to God, we can be assured he's always going to meet our basic needs. Notice I didn't say our wants. Notice I didn't say that Corvette in your driveway or that promotion at work. That's that's bunk, that's garbage when people make promises like that. You know what, God is not, I read this also, sorry, it's another meme, but it's true. I read recently, God is not beholden the promises other peoples make on his behalf. These health and wealth people that make all these promises, that's not scriptural. But he will take care of you. He will meet all your needs. I've never seen the, the children of the righteous begging for bread. Anyway, so so far we've covered four different facets of worship uh, that we engage in as a congregation, but let's take a moment, cover something a little bit less obvious, okay? Church, we also worship through testimony and fellowship. Now, you may not recognize where that fits into our weekly service, and that's okay, because honestly, you could argue that, that we do some of this before and after service. We do some of this during our three-minute intermission, except when you're trying to use an app to do something when you're sitting over there and you're the pastor and you should really be talking to everybody, but instead you're trying to order some stinking pizzas so that you can have time to eat and get to anthology. So forgive me for that, guys. Normally I'm out talking to y'all. Sorry about that. But anyway, so we're supposed to be fellowshipping during that time, but it's not just then. You know, sharing sharing how God has blessed us during the week is something we ought to be doing all the time. Whenever we talk to other believers, we ought to be sharing what's been going on in our lives this week. We ought to be encouraging one another with our own testimonies. That's part of what happens during fellowship. So, anyway, whenever we're having godly interaction with other believers, that's fellowship. It doesn't have to be over a meal. In fact, I think we equate the two sometimes. We probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> now you're meddling. No. <laughs> but we also do this officially once a month. During our missions presentation, think about that. Once a month, for uh, you know, anywhere from ten minutes to three hours, Dave will share with us. <laughs> Dave, Dave, will share with us what a mission is has shared with him about what God has done, and and it is so encouraging for us. I mean, who hasn't been moved by the testimony of what's going on with the giving to Joyson's ministry? My goodness, God is so good. My lack of goodness. God is good. And all the time, ha, <laughs> just kidding, sorry. Oh, man, all right, so we're, we're blessed to hear a testimony during that time of what the Lord is doing in one of our many supportive ministries, and when we share with others what God has done, it gives everyone an opportunity to honor him together, right? We get to encourage one, it's corporate. And then after, after the, the same Sundays, after service, we usually we go and we have a potluck, and And again, it's not just because we're having food that it's fellowship, but because it's us and it's food, we're having fellowship. And we're giving each other testimony about our lives and how things are going and and what what things we need help with. And there's some accountability that goes on there. There's a a godly connection that we make. This this is the perfect opportunity when we're having these potlucks to sit down and, and tell somebody else how God is at work in your life. There's a reason that Jesus had instructed a man that he had, he had made whole, he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. God is glorified when we come together and we encourage one another with his deeds and when we share his goodness with one another, just like any, any human father would love to hear his children Talk about how much they love and appreciate him. I think it blesses God to hear us bragging on him. So, testimonials, fellowship with other believers—that is another means of worship. But anyway, on a on a normal Sunday, we move from the time of worship, of uh, worship through music, and then we we go to the the partaking, and then we go to uh, giving. We come to worship through corporate prayer. Worship through corporate prayer. Corporate means all together. Okay. And much like singing to God, his people are frequently commanded to pray to him in the scripture. Many, many times we're told this. I think it's safe to say that none of us pray enough. Okay, But even when we do pray, I think a lot of us pray in a very uh, an insular sense, a very inwardly focused sense. But when we pray together, our elders have a habit. We remind each other, say, hey, be looking at your prayer list. You know, pray over the specific requests that people have. When we do this together, when we're together as a body of believers, it creates a greater sense of the church as being one big family, which it is, right? And not just Crossroad. The church globally, with a capital C, we are one family in Christ. Anywhere where you have believers on the planet, you have family. So, praying for one another is a way of loving one another, And that's essential to the life of a believer. You know, in in the first letter to Timothy, Paul urged in chapter two, he he urged him, he said, supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then he goes on to specifically mention those who are leaders in the the nations and and leaders of the people. And he doesn't ask them whether they like them or not. You know, there are so many other scriptures that command us to pray, pray without ceasing. You know, be praying at all times and in the Spirit. Christ even instructs us to pray for those who persecute us. Friends, God loves us, and he loves to hear our prayers. You know, in the book of Revelation, we see that the prayers of the saints are incense to God. So when we obey God by praying for one another and and when we pray for the world, it's an act of worship. A sincere prayer is a kiss toward God. Another way that we worship is through proclaiming and applying God's Word, which is what's happening right now. And this happens in more than one way. You know, the, the, probably the most obvious way is, is through a message that's preached, right? But it's also connected to publicly reading the Scripture, but, but it's taking it further. Okay, earlier we read part of 1 Timothy and, uh, 4.13. I'm gonna, let's finish it. Paul says, "'Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture.'" to exhortation and to teaching. Exhortation is encouraging you in a specific way. And teaching is taking God's Word, parsing it, and explaining it in a way that we can all connect with it. Okay, So we start with the reading of the Word, but then the teaching pastor expounds on what it says and encourages a response. And the act of preaching a God-honoring, Christ-centered sermon is an act of worship, but not only that, when you listen to it, it's an act of worship. Because you're devoting a sacrifice of time to hear a message that you know will help you to know the Lord better. So, listening is an act of worship. But don't miss this very, very crucial part it's not only the preacher that's supposed to be applying God's word, it's you you are supposed to be applying the word. Your pastor can tell you how God's word might be applied in in different settings or circumstances, but the actual application is your duty. It's your job. I'm convinced that that this part of the worship service, the part that occurs in, in each individual's mind and heart and that manifests in our spiritual walk once we leave, that may be the part that matters most to God out of all of this. If you think I'm speculating, I want you to flip with me. Go to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. This is worth it, y'all. I'm going to give you a few seconds to get there. I think it's good for us to see what Scripture says with our own two eyes. This is a prophet Samuel, Okay? Speaking to King Saul, go to to verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? This is what they call a rhetorical question. The answer is negative. Okay? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. Did you catch that? God wants obedience. He wants His word to be listened to and applied in our lives. He he, he wants us to belong to Him, lock, stock, and barrel, not because He needs us. You know, not because He needs His ego to be stroked. It's because becoming like Him is what's best for us. And He wants that for us. We don't want to be like the Israelites of whom Jesus said, these these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Can you really be worshiping the Lord if your heart is far from him? I don't think so. I don't think we can. Not really. So so here's the point at which we move from specific ways that we we can worship God into this, this underlying truth that worship is, is itself an attitude. Worship is an attitude. We worship God through having a proper attitude, and it's supposed to permeate our lives. You know, if we're just going through the motions and, and our hearts aren't in it, then God doesn't like it. In fact, Scripture tells us that He hates it. He hates it when people are, are keeping up appearances you know, with, with so-called worship while being disobedient, I'm going to ask you one more place, flip with me again to Isaiah chapter one. we're gonna we're going to be brief here, but I want you to to see how God feels about fake worship. Starting in verse eleven, he says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. And then he goes on to say he he doesn't delight in them. And then in verse 13, bring me no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the, the calling of convocation. I mean, pause here for a second. Isn't this all stuff that God commanded from his people? Yeah, so why isn't he pleased? The answer is in the next sentence. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. In other words, he's saying, you people are faking it. And if you continue on, you'll see that they were trying to, to portray this this piety and look all religious while ignoring one of the most important parts of the law, love your neighbor. But even then, even then, he calls them to repentance with the promise of forgiveness if they'll just stop their rebellion and start living right. You know, true worship isn't just your songs or your offerings or your time spent in service. It's when your heart for the Lord is put into practice. That's real worship. Real worship, by definition, must be real. Jesus said it himself, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so, brothers and sisters, whatever comes to mind when you hear the word worship, try to ground it in an attitude of kissing toward God. And you say, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, what, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Um, it, it's, it's not going to be the same for every person. I'm going to tell you that right up front, okay? It's, it's not, but there, there should be some characteristic markers, right, of a, of a true worshiper of the Lord. So if you have the bulletin insert, I want you to, to look up at the top next to the title there, and you'll see what looks like a Venn diagram with three overlapping circles. And we're going to finish the message with a quick... Self-evaluative exercise. Um, if you'd like to know whether your life properly reflects an attitude of worship, here are three simple touchstones for you, okay? First of all, do you have proper affections? Do you have proper Affections. This is an old school term. It was very big in the Puritan era, but it's referring to your thoughts and your emotions and your desires. Okay? Are they focused on Christ or something else? It's that simple. Where do your affections lie? Because your affections will inform your actions. Do you have a deep love for God and for His people? Or not? Brings us to the second circle. Do you have proper expression? Do you have proper expression? If your affections are in the right place, then in general, your life ought to be marked by humility and gratitude and appropriate submissiveness. You know, in in, in a a worship setting, such as in a church service, you will be aware of the balance between emoting and distracting. And likewise, you should, you should reject any sort of, of judgmental attitude toward those who aren't, aren't as demonstrative as you might be or who aren't as comfortable expressing themselves in the same way that you are. And you'll strive to honor God with your actions. You know, like John the Baptist, his, he had a great line. He said, I must decrease that he might increase. That's worship. Our attitude should be that we must decrease in order that Christ may increase. Then the third question to ask yourself is do you have proper direction? Are you living for Jesus? Does your life have a Godward trajectory? The thing is, everyone has affections. Everyone has expressions of their affections. Everyone has a direction. But if God is not the center of those things, you're headed the wrong way. But if you are on the right track, hey, be encouraged because where these three things intersect is where I think we're going to see worship at its most pure. So, again, if this describes you, Be encouraged because it's God's Holy Spirit at work in you to provide the proper affections, and he guides you in the proper expression of those affections, and he continually points you back to God. But if this doesn't describe you, then ask yourself, in what ways am I falling short in my lifestyle of worship? Am I worshiping something or someone else other than God? Am I worshiping myself? Am I worshiping my, my job, some, some sort of idol? My kids? Am I worshiping my spouse? Is there anything that we're putting on the throne in our heart that God belongs on? If so, do I need to ask the Lord to draw my affections back to him? Yeah, we do. Ask yourself, is there some area in my life that I am refusing to turn over to him? Am I holding something back? Is is there someone I need to forgive? Is there something else that I'm clinging to besides Jesus? There's there's really no one else that's worthy of our worship. I mean, he, he is the way and the truth and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father except through him. And so real worship has to start with knowing the Savior. It has to begin with knowing Jesus. Do you know the one who came to earth and died for your sins? Do you know that he rose from the dead and do you know the power of his resurrection life in your own life? If not, do you want to? Because if... If you put your faith in him, guys, he gives you eternal life. And the alternative is eternal punishment. And and really, it's not a tough decision, but it can be made only in faith. So I encourage you this morning, turn to Christ, believe, trust, and obey.